Celtics Reddit podcast, Ben Ballas here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We've got a good one for you today, breaking down the Celtics' unusually exciting first two preseason games. Jay and Wayne Spoody are on the call, but we're very excited to welcome our guest, a man who really needs no introduction to Celtics fans, Chris Forsberg of NBC Sports Boston, the Celtics Talk podcast, and hopefully the soon-to-make-a-return Enos Cantor show. Chris, how you doing, sir? Thanks for coming on. <laughs> I am overwhelmed by the amount of people that have said... Uh, we hope the Ennis Cantor show comes back because uh, I saw the listen numbers and I don't know where y'all were like last, last a couple of years ago because uh, I, I, if you wanted it so badly, maybe maybe you should have been more active and shared it with all of your friends back then. But uh, I am likewise excited and hope that uh, that Ennis will will jump back on because uh, if nothing else, he has this amazing phone book where every celebrity in the world uh, was available to him. Like Ben Stiller was just like, yeah, let's, let's call me at 9.30. I'll be here. And I'm like, unbelievable. Like, amazing. Who does that? What a resource. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, if it does come back, we promise to subscribe on all of our devices and all Thank of our you. family's Thank devices you. as well. It was before its time. It was before its time. People needed a minute to, to recognize what mm. was happening. You don't you don't know what you've got until it's gone. It's and true. so when Ennis left, like not, not like I literally I was like, oh wow, like I don't have a podcast with a Celtics player anymore. So um, hopefully, hopefully he will be back to regale us with stories from this fun and exciting Celtics team because they're, uh, they're they it, it, the vibes have changed now that uh, Ennis and Horford are back. Yeah, and so you know why don't we dive a little bit right into that? I mean, we just had uh, an ex- a pretty exciting game two of the preseason. Celtics are 2-0 and in the preseason now, so we're, what, just a handful of games away from the, the 2022 championship? So, uh, <laughs> looking at this game, too, uh, you know, I, a lot is getting talked about Tatum as a playmaker. A lot's getting talked about Horford being back. Um, one of the things in this particular game that I really liked, and I'm interested to get your perspective on as well, uh, Chris, is looking at a Romeo being inserted into that starting lineup and the way that he was able to have an impact on both sides of the floor, especially not just as any one thing on offense. Like I, I liked seeing some of that versatility, him shooting him also going to the basket. Um, and then also looking specifically at Marcus smart kind of growing into that point guard role. I thought in this game too, we saw smoother action with the ball, more movement happening off ball, um, and I think we saw some of the, the benefits of that, um, getting good looks, good shots. But Forsberg, with the, the view that you've got um, during the games and, and off, you know, when they're when they're not in the games and in practice and stuff, what are you seeing that's contributing to that? And, and how did you see that playing out on the floor tonight? So first off, I'm disappointed. I thought you were going to go with a double dose of 2019 draft class and give me Romeo and Grant. And because that would have been like, if you, if I could have bet what we'd be talking about in the preseason, that would have been like the last thing I bet on. Like, uh, <laughs> I did not think that uh, Romeo alone would be getting this much press, but you know, you make a game winner and uh, you have a pretty good game with Stoddard and you deserve that hype. Uh, and I mean, Slim Grant, I mean, we'll, we can get to that later, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe pulling in, all the Reddit haters that uh, were, were ready to fire Grant into the sun 
uh, and I, was, I might have been one of them too because I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 he's 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 been a lot better this preseason than uh, that I saw last year. So good for him, uh, Romeo. Like I still don't know what his role is on this team. I think we all see the potential, right? Like very good defender has earned both Brad Stevens trust a couple of years ago. And now Ibe Adoka with being able to just be out there and be a serviceable defender and hold his own. And you know, we started that Brooklyn series in the playoffs. Like he was pretty good. Uh, offensively, it was nice to see today. He had a few more things than just knocking down open three point looks. You know, he had that one like baseline teardrop floater. Like I haven't seen that out of Romeo um, in, in, in Boston. So uh, the scouting report coming out of college was always that he was more offensive player than a defensive player. And, uh, you know, you go back to his high school days and one of the better pick and roll players coming out of Indiana. So uh, hopefully they can harness some of that because they need scoring. They need creative playmakers. Uh, he does move the ball. He does, uh, you know, make can can help set up others. And that's that's a big thing for this team. So um, but I don't know, like it, it went healthy. I think the minutes for him, like, I, I don't know where Peyton Pritchard's minutes are coming from. And, you know, he's hitting 40 footers. So uh, I just think it's going to be tough for those younger guys to, it won't be like last year where Brad's looking desperately down the bench and being like, can one of you dudes do something? It's going to be like, okay, I'm going to play Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder and all these veterans before I get to you. But, um, you know, good for, for Romeo for, for stating a case. And then with smart, it's just, um, you know, I, I was really not disappointed. Like, it was just really jagged all around for that, that first game. It felt like none of the guys really knew what to do with this up pace and quicker decision-making. They settled in a little bit more tonight. And maybe some of that was Toronto, like their weird uh, defensive scheme of letting guys shoot three-pointers at will. But um, Hold on, hold know, on. It, I'm going to stop Marcus... you right there. I'm not going to let Scal start saying that just because Toronto plays some kind of special way. No, our guys played well tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing by that. I mean, anytime you can give up 26 points in four minutes in the second quarter, you have to do it with your starters on the floor. So uh, I'm not as I, I, we can we can celebrate another close victory. Uh, Jabari Parker making free throws in, when the referee called a absolutely ludicrous foul because no one wanted overtime. Uh, but yeah, like look, the the the, the positives still far outweigh the negatives on a night like this. I thought there was a lot to take out of it, and like I, I think Marcus is just going to take some time to adapt to that whole idea of like because he's sitting there thinking. We don't have Jalen Brown. We don't have Dennis Schroeder. Like, I got a score. But he's still bought in tonight more to the playmaking than I would have thought. So that, that's a good sign for the Celtics. And I'll ask one more follow-up, specifically focused on Marcus Smart. because Does Wayne get to speak? Yeah, no, he's, he's going to <laughs> trust. Because I'm, really, I'm about to introduce something. It's like dropping a bomb into this real quick. Because Spoons and I have a little bit of a blood feud going on over Marcus Smart and the role that he can have on this team. Uh, and so it's beyond we, we see, personal. <laughs> it's beyond. He's not invited to any of uh, my future gatherings Families have or been divided. Yeah. So do you, are you willing to take any particular stance on the issue of Marcus Smart as a potential third star, third guy, uh, this team being competitive at a championship level? You, you know, it pains me to, to be all, all Wayne all the time when we're both on start Neesmith and, and, and all these other hype trains together. Uh, That's if, right. I don't know if Marcus Smart can be the third best player on a championship team. I think he could be the third most impactful, but I think the third best player has to be like, you know, a scorer or, you know, someone who carries a little bit more of the, of, of, of the burden. And maybe that's not fair. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe if you just take the whole package as a whole, he could be in that conversation. 
Um, he should certainly he certainly carries himself like someone who wants to be the the third best player. Sometimes he carries himself like the second best and first best, and and that's fine. I want my, my the, the players on your team to have an irrational confidence. Um, but you know, like for me, it comes down to can Marcus figure out that being the best version of himself means um, making everyone else better uh, at the sacrifice of maybe his own point total. Uh, can he just buy in and get back to being an all NBA defender again, all NBA first team defender. And in that defensive player of the year conversation, even though guards never get any of the respect. And, you know, if you do that, then, then you're just naturally in the conversation as one of the most impactful players there. Um, but yeah, like a lot has to break right for Marcus smart to be the third best player on a championship team. And so, and look, I, I, I said this as someone who tried to get my kids to name their dog, Marcus smart. So I lost by the way. And it, it was Kemba. <laughs> it's a shame. Which which also also didn't work out great, but um, so I, like I hope I hope that he I, look I hope he thrives in that role. He's got paid. He is like he might be a captain of this team. I don't know how that's going to necessarily play out, but um, you know, like look, it's Mar- Marcus Smart should feel empowered to be a big part of this. And I don't know if it you know Brad Stevens would probably tell us it doesn't matter who's the you know we shouldn't assign first, second, third. It's how it all works together. But um, you know he can be a very big piece of what they do. I'm going to chalk that up as a uh, win for me. Yeah, that's a win. That's a win for Wayne. <laughs> yeah. All right, listen, you're uh, both so- still invited to the cookouts, but when you get your, your hamburgers and hot dogs, you're not allowed to blow on them to cool them off first. <laughs> that's fine. I don't know. I like to live dangerously, Jay. Uh, g- going back to Romeo uh, quickly, why do you think Ime picked him to take that starting role tonight, and why not? I don't know, maybe a guy like Aaron Neesmith. And should he be fired for starting Romeo over Aaron Neesmith? What, one thing I think is that uh, uh, maybe he's going into the Brad Stevens playbook and not trying to tip his hand. Like, even even going double big was probably just like, he was like, damn, I, we, we, have to sh- we have to show this eventually just to see if it works. But maybe we'll bamboozle some people into thinking we're going to go double big if it, if it looks good for 12 minutes and then the wheels come off. Um, and and then they can slide Neesmith into that starting role when uh when no one least explore or, or when people least expect it. So uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I like I'd like to see it, and I but I don't know if we're going to. Um, maybe in the third preseason game. Like I think Tatum's going to get a night off here at some point. So uh, you might only have one more game where it's the kind of the core starters. Uh, but I guess you could you, you could throw Romeo and Neesmith out there. That's kind of a weird uh, lineup, but you know maybe it could work. Uh, I, I wonder if they'll be tempted to try Schroeder next to Smart and see how that kind of looks uh, if, if Jalen's not back. Uh, and obviously won't be back for those two games. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But, I, like, just for, for, for pure sample size reasons, I, I just wish we could see these lineups a little bit more. Like, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more double big. I'd like to see Neesmith with the core uh, or whatever core you can get out there without Jalen. Uh, so, you know. Because I just want to see it. And I think that small sample last year gave you a good indication that it can be really good offensively. And I think, you know, even if Neesmith has got some strides to make consistency-wise on the defensive end, he's, you know, he's going to run around and try to break his own neck, chasing rebounds and stuff like that. So it's fine when you've got Smart and Rob and the Jays out there. So, um, yeah, I, I, hope, I, I think by the end of the year we'll maybe, we'll maybe see it. But, and now there's shadows walking by and behind me, and that was, that was weird. But – um, yeah, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, 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 I don't know if we'll have a resolution. I think we'll have a firm starting five for this team. Like they've talked about 
this isn't going to be fluid like Brad did. He's going to pick his starters. He's going to pick his rotation. But I wonder if there will still be an opportunity where if they start with double big, maybe Neesmith can still work his way in down the road if, for whatever reason, that lineup isn't like a, a dominant force. Yeah, well, speaking of Neesmith and Biggs, there, we've got a couple of Reddit comments here for you, Chris. And so regarding Aaron Neesmith, uh, user Squim Jim writes, given his ability to play bigger and rebound in addition to his defensive struggles guarding wings sometimes, what do you think of Neesmith playing the four instead of the two? Maybe a little hot takey, but it's a, it's a sentiment that I've heard a number of times such that it's at least worth bringing up in this discussion. I don't know if it's, if it's even hot takey, right? Like, I don't know, because the one thing I'll say is I don't know if I differentiate... I definitely say the Celtics would be well served for Jalen and Jason to guard twos and threes more often, right? It takes a little bit less stress off them. Um, you don't have to kind of, you know, you don't have to worry about Tatum having to grind against bigger fours when other teams have big fours, which is rare nowadays anyway. Um, so I don't know. Like those are, they switch everything. So it's, it's sort of like, as long as you have guys that can switch, it, I don't think we have to sit here and say, this guy's the two, this guy's the three, this guy's the four. You have to do that with probably double big because you need to know, like, okay, is Rob going out and guarding perimeter guys? Is Al chasing those guys around? Maybe it's a little bit more difficult there. And you got you to scheme it up a little bit more. But, yeah, if you want to, like, if, if you're telling me you're going to start Neesmith and call him the four, that's fine. Um, I don't know if I want him guarding fours uh, because of the, of the bike and muscle at times, as, as any younger player would. But um, as long as you can have guys switch, uh, I'd be fine with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've got another comment here from, so in a similar vein from user Zaytoven, who says, do you prefer starting the, the double big lineup with, with Horford and Rob, uh, Rob Williams? Obviously, you're like, I guess, the, the world's leading expert in all things Time Lord. So we value your opinion in this sense. Um, we, we got a nice mm-hmm. little chunk of that, that double big starting lineup today. Um, do you think that's going to be the norm carrying out through this season? And are, are you happy with that situation? So, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys heard Al talking afterward. He sort of said, like, I'd really like to start, which is understandable. I don't think I've ever heard a guy come up and say, kind of like to come off the bench, yeah. kind of like just cash a check with Kyrie. But, um, <laughs> like, it, it, it is a situation where if Al plays really good and makes shots, then I'm okay with it because I do think you need shooting on that first group. Now, if he's back at whatever it was in Philly, 36%, 37%, you know, it gets a little bit tight, uh, dicier because, like, then you're not accentuating the Jays as much as you could. And so when we talk about Neesmith, like, he's still going to shoot 40% and do what he did at the end of last season to be in that conversation. But um, undeniably, like, the little things that Al does, the veteran savvy, the basketball IQ, the, you know, finding cutters to get, like, do got Grant a dunk, and that hasn't happened in three years. So, <laughs> like, if Al can do those sort of things, then I'm all for finding a way to put him in the starting lineup. I just need to know if it worked with Rob. And are you sacrificing something where, you know, you're sort of telling Rob he can't always go up to the high post and facilitate. He's got to be, you know, always kind of down by the basket and he's got to roll hotter. And they haven't had, you know, one of the weird things about the preseason so far is Rob hasn't had any dunks. Like, I don't know if that's just them figuring stuff out or what, or Rob's like, you know, easing in or whatever. But, you know, besides that one that he bricked to the moon, trying to dunk it, um, you know, they haven't had a lot of success on the roll, man. So, uh, but if they figure those things out, it it could work. Uh, Look, I keep saying this. I was shell-shocked last year from Tyson Thompson. Like, I just never wanted to see another double big lineup in the history of the world. But Al and Rob are, you know, two very good players, and maybe it's not as bad. And that's not not taking anything away from Tyson. 
but it is to take everything away from Tristan Thompson, who was a terrible player. <laughs> just to piggyback on that point, I mean, Al had one cut, I think, in the second quarter where, like, he wasn't even involved in the play. He just made a cut, sucked the weak side defender in, mm-hmm. and Tatum hit a bullet pass to the corner. I think it may have been to Romeo. And it's like, man, that's the type of stuff mm-hmm. that Tice and Tristan Thompson just absolutely do not do. But it kind of seems like Time Lord's probably been the biggest disappointment so far in these first two games. I mean, are you worried at all? Do you hey, think guys, he looks it, it, guys, it's been great. This has been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Spoons, you had him. You had him earlier on the, on the smart chain. You had to go and you had to burn like that. We're just getting a rapport going. Yeah, no, uh, Just because so, okay. I expect so much. From time no, that's fair. All. So, uh, I mean, uh, I can understand how you could call a guy who played, uh, who was a plus twenty-two in a two-point game, a gigantic disappointment tonight. But uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I knew I, you were going to go I, there. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, Hold like, on, look, I'm going to find some aloe vera for uh, for Wayne. I'll stay on mute the rest of the show. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 as someone who, even as the biggest. Time Lord pom pom waiver. Uh, I would love for him to be more impactful to this point. I thought he looked kind of stuck in the mud in game one. And even though like I'm cool with him trying that 10, 15 foot jumper because it, he has to develop that if he's going to be a more complete player. I think eventually we'll see him chucking threes, like because every big man just eventually does that. But you know, especially when you know, like the fact that he just hasn't hasn't had a dunk is just weird. It's just just weird. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Um, it's not like there hasn't been, you know, opportunities for him to roll. There is a couple of times guys have missed them or whatever. And that, that happens. But, um, yeah, I want, I want, I want time Lord to, to kind of take it up a notch in, in these final two games and, uh, sort of, cause you know, you're going to hear a lot of people go, well, okay, you know, you can start out and just bring time Lord off the bench. I don't know if that's the best thing for this team long-term. Um, I think Al, like Horford, I mean, a, a time Lord has to be out there. And they've got to figure that out. And he can make the Jays so much better with his with his talent. So, um, you know, I'd like to see him go up, go up a level. I'll, un- undeniable that my expectations are high as well. And uh, he needs to match them. So do you think we're hearing we always tend to hear like that early season talk about folks that are in the best shape. Al Horford's in the best shape of his life. Brett Williams is in the best shape of his life. That being said, literally, like, literally, Al Horford, Al Horford said he, he does look amazing out there old. right now. That fast break that he was <laughs> yeah. on, where he finished that fast break play, like I almost did a backflip in my chair. And listen, I'm not athletic enough to be trying to do stuff like that. <laughs> but it was it was Dragic chasing him, who was like 43 years old in in Croatian years, and, and like listen, you know, we're not no, gonna, like, we're not doing that here. <laughs> I got really excited as well, and then I was like, "Oh, it's, it's tragic." And I was like, "What?" I mean, but I, but still, he's beating guards down the court. That means something. Yeah, that like definitely. he's that spry, and that he's you know got. So yeah, uh, I, I do agree. Like it, it's a really good sign that Al feels as good as he have. And uh, if he, it, you know, last time he was here, we he, they could barely keep him on the court with those knee issues towards the end, and they had to really maintain that. So. Uh, a really positive sign that he, at least for game preseason game two is winning foot races with uh, slow guys. And Chris, I bring that up because we heard a lot of those narratives about guys that, you know, are, are in really good shape and, and maybe lost some weight, like in Grant Williams case, but in Rob mm-hmm. Williams case, he talked about putting on some weight in the off season. And, you know, given the injury history that he's had with his explosive, you know, not, not necessarily because of, but, Certainly, you know, it, it, his athleticism and playing above the rim the way that he does and the way he, he throws himself around that court, 
Um, do you think that that added weight and him just kind of getting used to his body as he's kind of, you know, filling out and maturing and trying to maybe learn, you know, more of that floor game so that he's not as reliant and dependent so that he can be, have more longevity, both, you know, in any mm-hmm. particular season, then of course, throughout the course of his career. Cause you have to imagine he's demonstrated enough talent at this point that he's got to be thinking a little bit long-term and, and big picture stuff. Sure. So like on one hand, I want to embrace that suggestion and say, you know, he's just kind of figuring out, he's got to stay on the court. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to bulk up to play that five spot. And then I think about what Grant Williams said, where he gained weight in his rookie season and then just couldn't like, wasn't as mobile anymore. And I'm thinking, no, don't take The last thing you want to do is, is, is take away time Lord's wings and uh, just let him fly and, and do all the stuff that he, that he does. Uh, and, you know, again, maybe a little less recklessly and, keep them in, keep them, get all 10 toes healthy this time around for, for playoff games. But um, yeah, like I, I just think he's one of those guys that uh, had to ramp down this, this uh, off season that they told him, especially as they came off that net series that, you know, he got to stay off that toe, got to get everything healthy. So maybe he's just a little further behind than most. And uh, you know, at least that's what I'm going to cling to until uh, he's throwing down dunks again. Now, Look, we have to acknowledge what happened in the fourth quarter of this game. We certainly don't have to and shouldn't talk about it because um, it's not worthy of, of anyone's time. I don't think it happened. You know, let's just move on. Um, but, you know, for preseason, it's reasonable to expect top-tier players to, to dial it in during preseason. I feel like at times during this game, particularly early on, we, we saw that with Jason Tatum. So a lot of what we're looking for in evaluating these games is like who can add value in their role. So in that sense, who's been, you know, aside from Romeo, who we've discussed and Grant as well, who have been the, the standout performers for you so far in these two preseason games? Yeah, I mean, like, unfortunately, Jalen was awesome, right? And I know he's yeah. not like a role player, but like the, the fact that the, the Jays have sort of showed us that they can kind of pick up where they were, especially in Jalen's case coming off the wrist surgery, super encouraging. Uh, I think, you know, Jason hasn't shot the ball particularly well, but like no one's going to worry about that. He's going to do it when it matters. And uh, for him to get the, the assist total up tonight is a, is a great sign. Now, I wish we could have seen more of Schroeder. The, the, the knee bruise kind of stinks. Like I'd like to like to see him out there where he fits in. What are, you know, we did see some chemistry there with Al. So would it be better to have Al on the bench and ride that chemistry and dial it back to the 2015 Atlanta days or, um, you know, get that bench mob mentality with him and whether it's Richardson or whatever, uh, you know, I'd like to see more of that. I thought Josh Richardson, like, I, I was I was really scared after game one, uh, looked a lot like the guy who, who, who didn't do much in Philly and Dallas, uh, but uh, a good sign that he kind of gave you something tonight. Um, I think the defense alone will be good. But, like, there's this cluster in the middle there where, you know, whether it's Romeo or I throw Richardson in there, I think he's got a, an edge because, like, the defensive side of the ball and like Ime's relationship with them. But, you know, I don't know who necessarily immediately, I can't tell you who guys seven through nine are that they're, they're going to like unequivocally lean on um, in part because we don't know the starting lineup and that will dictate some of it. But, um, you know, after Schroeder, who I'm pretty confident is going to play a, a big role. Uh, I'm really eager to see how those minutes start to shake out and who, who gets them. Like I keep going back to Peyton Pritchard, like they need shooting. And he's looked really good, especially knocking down those 30-footers. Uh, and I think you're going to have to play him. But if Schroeder's playing 30 minutes and Smart's playing 35, and you know it just gets hard to, to do the math and find where they fit. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But um, 
there's competition. I guess that's the biggest thing. Like last year, Brad, again, was begging people to, to step up and, and, and win a role off that bench, but it wasn't hard. This year, I think it's going to be hard, and that, that's probably a good thing for this Celtics team. At least, I think Brad acknowledged, like, man, this sucks having to, to, to try to figure out who I'm going to play. And meanwhile, Ime is able to be like, okay, if I don't want to play on this canter, I don't have to, uh, <laughs> unless they go double big, in which case they might have to play on this canter. Yeah, but there might we'll, be the we'll one knock on your uh, your podcast companion. There is that you know if we do go double big, then uh, there there is a cohort of the fans out there who might be disappointed to see Ines Cantor get some minutes there. Um, he's certainly a rebounding specialist, as we all know. But there's a you know there's a bit of a skill drop off after the rebounding there. I think we can all admit that. Um, look, we could definitely talk about preseason. Uh, sadly, all day and all night. I think we're all becoming emotionally invested in in the basketball that's available to us. Um, to move on, though, to some questions about the team more broadly, and part of the conversation, uh, for better or for worse, I'm going to err on the side of worse at the moment, is um, <laughs> Jalen Brown's you know, COVID diagnosis, and there's a lot of um, question from the, uh, the fans, a lot of concern from the fans as to whether or not he's vaccinated. Um, I'm not going to ask you straight up whether or not he's vaccinated because I'm sure, like us, you, you don't know. But is there a sense from being you know, around Jalen Brown and the rest of the team that, that he and or most of the, the guys are vaccinated? Yeah, so each guy got asked on media day and some were like very open. I think Tatum said like, you know, a lot of people in my family were, were on the fence, but I, like guys like me got it. Uh, so we know like he did it. Uh, Jalen sort of had a very similar sentiment, but didn't necessarily confirm or not whether he got it. Um, you know, so I don't, I, I, I don't want to be haphazard and guess. Um, I think, you know, you can try, I think a lot of people will try to read between the lines because he may get asked today whether, uh, it was a breakthrough case and sort of dodged it by saying, you know, we don't, we're not going to really go into that. But I think yeah. that was more, if he says it for one player, he's going to get asked about the next player. And I'm wondering if they're just sort of heading that off. Like they don't want to have to answer each time whether the guy is vaccinated or not. So, you know, it's probably easiest to just be like, we're not going to go there. Now they sort of set the precedence when they kind of outwardly said eBay has a breakthrough case. And, or at least, you know, when Brad came out and said that. Um, so, you know, you can't have it both ways or you shouldn't be able to have it both ways, but I, I get it. They probably realize in that moment, they, they need to, they need to play it a little closer to the vest because um, there will be players that don't want to reveal their status, good or bad. I mean, you guys can get my lean there, but like, you know, I, I think after what the Celtics went through last year, that anyone would naturally hope that everybody on this team would be vaccinated because it contributed to a lot that went wrong and uh, the hardships of playing in a COVID season. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I think it would be naive to think even as the NBA gets up to 95%, there's just, there's going to be outliers guys that um, for whatever reason don't get the vaccine and it, it, it could be a factor into how the season plays out. Yeah. I think, you know, when I read a lot of comments and I, you know, talk to others that, you know, share that same interest in, in wondering where Jalen stands on that. You know, I think there's there's a part of the fan base that has like a, a lot of that interest. And it's it's not just about I think it's as much to wondering about his availability for games and such like that. But there's also the the impact and the role that Jalen has really been able to to demonstrate off the court as well. And, and the way that he's such a presence out there that this fan base feels really proud of and, and feels proud to be, you know, a fan of and support. And then I think this now has become a narrative across the country that's very divisive. And so for a large contingency of the fan base that 
sort of want to know that there's that alliance with this person that they, you know, they watch play this game and that they, you know, um, you know, have that respect for again on and off the court. I get the sense that there's like this, this uneasiness about whether they, that might be called into question now for, for folks and, and how they relate to Jalen Brown, the basketball player. Um, you know, again, you know, keeping in mind that like none of, the fans are, are personally involved in, in Jalen's life and that's Jalen's life. And I think that's an important kind of reality to keep in mind. Um, but in considering how fans relate to players on their teams and, and how we participate and engage in that dynamic, that's what kind of resonates for me. Um, Cause you see the opposite dynamic playing out in other teams and organizations, like with the Kyrie Irving situation where, right. you know, the whole thing is getting flipped upside down. And I think there's a lot of folks that are just terrified of, of that becoming a dynamic with a player that they've come to, just appreciate and respect sure. so much. Yeah. And, and even like my mind goes to LeBron, like everybody wants him to kind of come out and be the guy who says like, everybody go get vaccinated because his voice has such a heft. And I think, you know, we saw it last year with the, there's just social justice movement, right? Like Jalen carries this sort of, you know, gravity with what he, what he says and the, the impact of his words. And I think, you know, I think as much as anybody, he understands that. And, um, so yeah, I'll be interested to see when he when when he eventually talks about it and comes back and you know how how he addresses it and whether he addresses it. Um, but it 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 is a uh, it is weird that you know I, I like as much as I, I want to focus on just basketball too. It's like well, this is just part of the conversation and it's something we have to we have to address because it, it impacts the basketball team. And so uh, very interesting. It's just, it just the one thing I, I, that 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 makes me somewhat, you know, sad is just not that I knew, not that I thought was naive enough to think that it would just, you know, COVID would disappear, wouldn't impact the, the 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 team like it did last year. But it was such a presence last year, and that stupid chart that I had to reference every like three days on our air about like, oh, the Celtics lead the league in COVID days, like, and we're right back. You know, it's like we made it. The Celtics made it through one damn game, and now we're talking about COVID. And we're talking about knee contusions. I don't want to talk about knee contusions anymore. I'm like sick of contusion. And why do we call it contusions? It's a freaking bruise. It's a contusion like, confusion. We are getting we're getting the yeah. unfiltered right now. This is great. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hey, at least sorry. they were the two yeah. most exciting preseason games of all time, right? At least we've got that going for us. <laughs> good, 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 good point. I, uh, you know, like my, my my friends were telling me, like you need to calm down. It's the preseason. I was like, did you watch last year? Like <laughs> yeah. after after slogging through that and having to talk about how god awful those teams were when they hit adversity and. With all the injuries, it was refreshing to talk about Romeo Langford hitting a three-pointer in a meaningless game, or Jabari Barker getting 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 two free throws that you know because the ref didn't want to get overtime. Oh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's refreshing to be talking about that, in uh, even though we have to still have the COVID conversation. Yeah, COVID days missed are the only stat we led the league in last year, I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh, but speaking of stuff that's sort of tangentially related to basketball, you just did an awesome interview with both of the Jays. And it seemed to me it was in a response to this bizarre narrative that I think has cropped up from sort of sports talk radio. And we all know how that is in Boston. Um, so how much do the Jays hate each other? Scale of nine to ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, I'm glad to hear someone else does that joke. My buddy always does it. He goes, on, uh, hey, on a scale of 8 to 10, how is, you know, X or Y? And, like something that yeah. we would naturally write low. Uh, and, he tri- and, and so then he can go and, and, hey, everybody, they rated this an 8. 
Um, so <laughs> I, I've got, I actually I've been surprised a little bit about like people coming at me in terms of, you know, oh, stupid Boston media. Why do you have to ask this question? Well, it's because I got freaking asked that question all the time. And like, yeah. I can't I, there, I can tell you what I think based on my, you know, the four minutes of practice I get to watch when the curtain gets raised and the, you know, I'm not in a locker room anymore, so I don't even have that access. None of us do in, during this COVID time. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious as well. And, you know, I didn't mean it to come from like a negative spot, but I do know, you know, there are people talking about it, about like how they interact on the court, how they interact off the court. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to hear it from them. So going in there, you know, kind of give you guys a peek behind the curtain. Like, I had no idea if we were going to even get them together. It's like media day is weird. You know, these players just, like, I'm in a room about the size of this one, and they're bringing players in, and you get anywhere from three minutes to maybe ten minutes with them. And we had sort of said, like, it would be really cool if we could get Jalen and Jason together. And then it was ironic because then we had to start get out a measuring tape because we had to make sure they were far enough apart to be COVID compliant in the same room. And so that added a layer to everything. And by, you know, kind of dumb luck, no, you know, fault of my own, like we ended up being able to get them together. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, how much time do I have? I don't like, you might have three minutes. You might have five minutes. Uh, I mean, I think the five minute piece that we ran was edited down from maybe seven and a half, eight minutes. We got them together. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, so I, I tried to just use the, the questions that were most of the top of my head. And, um, you know, that, that just happened to be one of them, but I, like, from my perspective, it was refreshing to hear them sort of come out and say what I kind of thought, but I didn't know for sure. And I hope it allows them to sort of move forward without having to answer that, even though, you know, invariably, if it doesn't work on the court, there will be questions about, you know, whether they fit right and whether they're the right guys to lead this team and all that. But that's, that's like natural. That happens on every team. Um, but yeah, it's, it, was, it was neat for me to hear uh, them talk about just from everything from 2014 and that, that photo. And the thing too, that's shown through for me is just like Jalen was so loose and Jalen being loose allowed Tatum to like relax and answer questions in a way that, you know, is probably different than in a normal interview. Um, so I think that showed their relationship, right? Like Jason can be the vocal guy can be the one who can show some personality and be the forward facing guy. And Tatum can just be like a, one of the 10 best basketball players in the world and not have to worry about it and be a dad and, you know, not have to, 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 to shoulder that load. And they sort of take a little bit of the burden off of each other and, and make each other better in that way. Now it's going to show on the court, um, which is why, you know, you really hope that Jalen can, can get through this and uh, it's good to hear he's asymptomatic and all that. And, uh, but yeah, I'm like, I'm eager to see where they go from here because so much of like how much we enjoy this season will hinge on uh, on what those guys do and, and just how much better they make each other and, and the rest of this team. Yeah, I, li- I like to think that the outcome of that interview will be that essentially it's putting out this fire that's unfortunately and needlessly been burning for a while now because um, it did seem like there was some uh, conclusions to be drawn like from their answers that like, yeah, they're close, but also it completely does not matter whether they're close or not. I, I can't think of any other all-star duo in any sport ever getting that much scrutiny ever as to their relationship. Like I, you know, I was younger in the nineties. I, I don't mean, remember. I mean, Kobe, Kobe, and, Kobe and Kobe and Shaq. Um, like, yeah, I mean, sure. If social media, if social media existed when MJ and Pippen were like when Pippen didn't take the last shot, like I think it's, it, I think it's partly because of the age we live in. 
Um, and just like, we have nothing else to talk about for 24 hours a day. And like, so it's invariably this, this sort of stuff comes up more than it might've, uh, before, but yeah, like it is part of the conversation. Like I, 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 like I fully admit it to them. You can hear it in the audio. I say like, it's weird for me to be asking these questions, but like I get asked it all the time. And so I like, the only way I can find out this answer is this rare instance where we have you guys together. And, uh, so they, you know, it was nice of them to sort of let the guard down a little bit and roll with it, even if they admitted to that it was weird to be talking about it on camera. I thought the thing that was the most sort of appreciative was just their natural demeanor with it, where like it didn't feel like they were just given like sort of a scripted and rehearsed spiel to address the thing to sort of have some coordinated approach of, of dealing with it. Like they did just mm-hmm. seem to sort of naturally riff off of that. Um, and again, yeah, Jalen's got a great vibe and he's got, you know, he's he was able to kind of diffuse it with some humor too. I love I love the last part of the bit that was showed today, uh, tonight during the the broadcast. Where he's like, "You still can't guard me. You got you got nothing for this." Yeah, <laughs> that was such that was, that was a. I love that it's, moment. I love the two moments. I love that he he did the whole "You can't guard, you still can't guard me," and then he did the the other one where he's, where they're talking about the 2014 photo, and uh, and say how. <laughs> Uh, you know, Jason said, or Jalen says, Jason came up to me and was like, Hey man, can I get a, can I get a picture? And Jalen's like, yeah, cool. Anything for my fans, even though it was like this random snapshot from the side and like, yeah. But like, again, that like Jalen's ability to make it a fun moment that wasn't like this heavy, Oh my God, we're, we're answering this question again, allowed Jason to open up and, uh, yeah, I, like I, my only wish is that I had had more time so that we could have talked about more things. And um, but hopefully, you know, hopefully that shows uh, everyone involved. Like you know, they're the the power of kind of getting those sort of get the it, it's hard. You know, like it's hard to get those two guys in a room together, and uh, it's just a rare instance where it worked out. So uh, I'm I'm appreciative that one that we have a crew that was able to to make it happen, and that uh, that uh, we got it out to the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Transitioning a little bit now, we've got some sort of media-related questions for you before we wrap this thing up. Um, and this is something that we ask everyone from Celtics Media who comes on the podcast, and I suspect that your answer will be different, Chris. To, to what extent are you a fan of the team? And like, I'll, I'll sort of add extra content context there, rather, in that everyone we ask this says, well, I'm not a fan of the team at all. It's a job. Um, and if I were to become in any way emotionally invested in the team, then it would actually detract from my ability to, to do my job. I get the sense from you, Chris, that your approach is different. And like, can I add to that, that from the fan perspective, that's really refreshing. And it's a, it's a warm sort of quality to, to your media coverage that makes consumption of, of your work more enjoyable. But yeah, like, are you, are you still act, sort of actively following the team? Do you, do you find yourself emotionally invested beyond what you're doing professionally? Don't hurt him, Chris. It, it's so weird. No, no, no. <laughs> but like, it's so funny because like, uh, I would think if, if you had asked me that question probably even a year ago, I would have given you the stock, you know, no, like big J journalist here. I, I can't possibly like root for this team, but like <laughs> I grew up here and I had to watch Ricky Davis and I'm still waiting for them to, to trade Kedrick Brown. And like, so there, there's part of me that is invested. Like some of my fondest memories were way before I could have even envisioned covering this team. I remember me and my dad were at that, you know, Pierce game where they eliminated game five or game four, where they eliminated the Sixers in 2002, 2003, something like that. You know, I can't, I can, like, I can't remember the dates. I just remember going to the fleet center or whatever the hell it was called then. Uh, and, and just being a fan. And even 
you know, I, I don't know if I've even, I, I've probably told this at some point on, on the podcast, but my friends bought season tickets in section 308 for uh, the 2000, in 2007, or they signed up in the end of 2007, thinking they were going to get Durant or Odin and that the foreseeable future would be more enjoyable. And then of course, everything, you know, everything goes to hell. They get the fifth pick and, you know, they, they, they sign up for these tickets and all of a sudden they're like, well, geez, we're going to get to watch um, Jeff Green. Um, But like, luckily everything, everything falls into place to get ready to get KG. And then that year, but my buddy actually, one of my other friends in between this gets a job with the, the Clippers selling tickets out there. So he has to leave Boston. My other buddy who's still living here says, Hey, I, I need someone to go to the games with. And so I was covering high schools for the Boston Globe at that point, and I would just go, you know, cover a high school game or whatever, and then I'd scramble into the garden and watch the Celtics. And I went to probably, you know, I wasn't a huge hoops fan at that point, but I, I went to a ton of games. And then ironically, like at the tail end of it, I ended up jumping on and doing some 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 media stuff. Um, but that, like that, my long-winded answer is like, yeah, like I have some attachment to the team. Like if you're asking me, I had a poster of the original big three it was actually the entire 86 starting five and i laughed because like danny age was my favorite part of it because he was like doing this like runner in the lane uh and i used to tell danny that all the time i was like i went to spags and worcester i don't know like this might be this will definitely not play overseas or for most of reddit but for those of us from here there was this like dusty old department store in worcester massachusetts and danny came and signed uh literally like basketballs or hoops or something um, and I went and took a picture with him and it was my Twitter picture for the longest time until Danny figured it out and came over and was like, is that me? And I was like, yeah. So, um, so I do have some attachment to the team. And I think in the last year, one of the things I've tried to do is take it. I've always tried to kind of look from a fan perspective with the coverage in terms of like, what does, what are fans interested in? Um, how do fans feel and try to like, at least relate to that. Um, you probably won't see me up here screaming and yelling and getting excited if they get a good draft pick or if they, you know, win a game. But, like, I am emotionally tied to it. And there is a, you know, just from a, from a, from a livelihood perspective, like, I want them to be good so that people are interested in what we're doing. Um, you know, it sucks when you're irrelevant and you're fighting for, you know, when you're the fourth most popular team in Boston, it's not very fun. You want to you want to be in the, 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 the front page of the papers and the, the lead on the on the nightly shows and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I just so I, I kind of try to approach it from that perspective for the last year with with on TV. Like last year, I, like it was genuine when I was sitting there like ripping my hair out, not because of like I'm a super fan, but because like this team wasn't fun to watch. Uh, so I, I guess that's the way I'll put it is that I still try to maintain some semblance of uh, of, of big J journalists, but, um, it's also cool to be able to be here and be like, look, I just really love Rob Williams and I hope he dunks on everybody. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. You mentioned spags. That was like my mom's like once a year, we'd get in the car. Yes. This guy lived about an hour, 15 minutes from Worcester and be like, we're going to spags this weekend. <laughs> and I was like nine and I was like, no, but that is a name I've not heard in a long time. Yeah. That's the Wayback Machine for you now. It's a Whole Foods now. So it's uh, talk about swinging from complete different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, it's a dusty old department store is a spot on description. <laughs> yeah. 
So we had John Corrales on the pod a couple of weeks ago and we asked him in, in a similar vein, if the Celtics do win a championship, are you cracking open the champagne with the rest of us or, or like, what are you doing? And he immediately was like, no, like I'm cracking out the, the, the typewriter, which is sort of something to unpack on its own. Um, and getting trying straight to start to beef, work. Chris, helps out here. <laughs> uh, are you taking would, a moment uh, to celebrate? I'll, I'll probably, the, the, I will say, so again, I jumped on, like that 2008 season was one of the first times I had just been covering the team. And I was really just walking around with a video camera for a newspaper, which makes no sense. But we were just starting <laughs> to dabble in like online, in, uh, online video. And I, like, I'd write an occasional story, but like, I was not a key part of, of the coverage. And that, when I went to ESPN, it was 2010. And uh, I didn't even know I was going to be the Celtics guy, just like dumb luck. And like, I'm, like really got, got lucky to kind of stumble into the job. And then they go to the finals against the Lakers in game seven. And like, you know, I needed alcohol after that season just because I was like, oh, my God, like the last six months have been crazy. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if I would necessarily be, be popping champagne uh, in celebration, but I would drink heavily uh, when the season ended and, and try to reflect back and try to, you know, because it, it, it's crazy. Like I took it for granted after 2008 and 2010. I was like, oh, this is just what we do every year. Like we go to the NBA finals. It's cool. Uh, and, and now I've been sitting here ever since kind of like, Man, it'd really be nice to go go back to an NBA Finals and and enjoy yeah. <laughs> it. I will say I, I, I will say this. Uh, Two thousand eight. One of my 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 favorite stories is uh, I was just I, again I'm carrying around this video camera for 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 the Boston Globe, which made no sense. And um, I, I like ended up in the locker room after Game Six, and uh, like just because I happened to like follow Eddie House's family through the back tunnel of the of the garden, and they for some reason thought I was like a TV reporter or something so they let me in um and i got absolutely soaked i've never been i've never been at that point in a championship locker room um and it was like a crazy situation and you and you want to talk about balancing your you know childhood fandom with being a journalist like you know i'm not I'm not trying to grab a bottle of champagne and join the fun but it is like oh my god these guys are have achieved the the ultimate goal of the sport and they're really excited and kevin garnett is pouring champagne on you because he's just crazy happy about what's going on but there's actually like i i I have to find the footage there's no way the it's like a high eight camcorder or something so there's no chance the tape even works but there's there's literally like champagne pouring down the lens as like kg is just screaming belligerently about something uh and the best part was i had i get done i leave that locker room we we tape stuff or whatever till two in the morning we leave and then i realized i had to drive from boston back to worcester and I said, what do I do if I get pulled over? Because I reek of alcohol. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, and like, can you imagine the cop looking at me and being like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, like me trying to get out my camp. Like, here's my camcorder. Like, you look, have had a lot. Wide. It's way out, right? Exactly. Uh, I would have been sent to jail immediately. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's my lo- uh, that is also a long-winded way of saying I would probably have champagne from, you know, being in the proximity but um yeah i don't i don't know if i would i would be celebrating except for the fact that it would be really cool to cover a uh a, another championship season and after all the success boston teams have had that seems a little selfish but um it would be nice i, w- I went to one super bowl and it was the year the patriots lost so i don't know if it's me like maybe i'm maybe i'm the bad karma jinx whatever you want to call it but um <laughs> Yeah, I'd, like, I'd, like, I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more championship wins in the in the 2020s than I did in the 2010s. 
I think we can all absolutely. I think resonate that's the metric that. we're all tracking here. Um, <laughs> we hope that we certainly you get that in it, not only as part of your fandom but as part of your professional career as well. Look, uh, Mr. Forsberg, I feel like we could keep you here talking all night, but uh, it is getting late there, and we should probably let you go. That's going to do it for this one, folks. Chances are, if you know where to find our content, you absolutely know where to find Chris's content. But if you've been living in a Reddit cave, which I suppose isn't that uncommon, you can read Chris's work on NBCSports.com. The Celtics Talk podcast is awesome and available everywhere and, of course, on TV before, during, and after every Celtics game. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, and just a shout-out to all you Reddit people, like... Whether it was the, I'd like, I, I don't, I, you know, I call like danger card, the OG of like, but there's the been this baton pass. There, that, well, there, there's been this baton pass where you guys have like come in and, and been the ones that elevate the content beyond just shit posts and, and, and stupid memes and stuff like that. So uh, I appreciate that you're actually trying and elevating the conversation. And I hope that me being friendly to you will make you feel better when I rip off your, your story ideas, like start me. <laughs> Confession. Confession yes. on the podcast. It came late. <laughs> Chris, you have made my life. You have no idea. Yeah. You just peaked, no, no. It's over. No, the, I got to so quit. I, I'm not writing I'm not going to – I'm only going to temper it slightly. Uh, it's like coaching where people say – you know, Brad Stevens says all the time, everybody steals from, from each other. Uh, if you're not stealing ideas from other people in other sports and on the beats and stuff like that, you're not trying because like, there's only so many stories that are worth writing. Um, but like, yeah, it's, there's, there are times where I'll have like something written down, like, Oh, you know, make the kid. You know, and then, and I, I don't, I don't think this was, it was, it was an instance. You, you had start Neesmith from like, you know, the day he was drafted. Um, and, and I was but like, I, you know, eventually I wrote down, wrote down, like, you know, I, I should do this. And then I, you know, I, I, st- I, I, I make my, my my probably daily perusal over there, and I'm like, damn, damn it! Now I'm now I'm gonna look like the guy who was copying this idea. And then I said, and then I was like, I'm honored. Well, that's a good. That 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 that's a good stat. I'll, I'll, I should take that one. So yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> like I, uh, I appreciate you. <laughs> we appreciate likewise, you. Too. We appreciate you, man. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Legend status. And we're yes, glad sir. to hear that you're on the subreddit lurking uh, among us. That's, uh, that's a feel-good takeaway among with everything else we've discussed. Uh, again, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Shout out, Bongos. <laughs> <laughs> oh.